Our Father and our God, we are thankful to you for this day and for the time that we have to share together. We are thankful for the, the blessings that you shower us with. Um, many of those we don't even notice. Uh, we take so much for granted, and I pray that we would be more aware of the way that you work in our lives. We thank you for your Son, for his sacrifice, and the bond of unity we have in his blood. We thank you for the time that we have to share together, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to edify one another, and to spur one another on to love and good deeds. I pray that this will be a time that will be devoted not only to you, but that we will devote to one another, to making each of us better, better equipped, um, and better impassioned to be your people. And we pray for these next moments as we open your word, that, that we would be still for a moment. Uh, that the obstacles that Satan frequently throws in our path to keep us from understanding, from comprehending what it is <clears throat> that you would have us to glean from your word in this, in this time, that those things would be removed, and that we would be available <clears throat> to you, that our spirits and our hearts would be, would be available and willing to be transformed and to be changed, to be shaped. Give us courage, give us boldness. Help us to, to follow you as we leave this place as well. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Masterpiece in progress in Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll be today. Uh, the first 16 verses uh, of that chapter. And, you know, it's, it's going to sound real familiar because the, the, the theme of Ephesians runs throughout. And we've been talking about how God is shaping and transforming us constantly. You think about growth like we all have a desire for growth right um i remember when i was in eighth grade we didn't lose one basketball game i don't know if i played in one basketball game but i know our team did not lose uh we had a man yes man in eighth grade he was six foot five in the eighth grade i mean that was back in the day where you didn't have a lot of six foot five people in eighth grade um, and, and our offense was easy. It was throw it to Jeff and throw it high because even when other kids jump, they still can't reach the top of his hand. And he would just catch it, turn around, and dump it in the basket. <clears throat> and I remember looking at Jeff going, man, what would it be like to be that tall? I was not six foot five. I'm still not six foot five. Um, I was a little less than five foot in the eighth grade. In fact, when I went into my freshman year of high school, I was barely over five foot. Um, that's not very tall for someone who aspires to be an athlete. Um, I was not a point guard, so I couldn't handle the ball. Um, I wasn't very fast. Uh, I, I wanted to be a goalie on our soccer team, and a five-foot goalie is not a very effective goalie. Uh, but that's what I wanted to be, but I just couldn't grow. Um, I did. I grew a foot my freshman year of high school. Um, but we aspire to growth. Uh, when I went to college, I wanted to play college basketball. And so I showed up the first, uh, the first summer at Oklahoma Christian, and I was going to the little JV tryouts, and they said, all right, I want all my forwards over here and all my guards over here. And I start going over here with all the forwards, and Coach Hayes goes, hey, Fowler, what are you doing over there? I said, I'm a, I'm a power forward. And he said, not at that weight, you're not. I was 165 pounds. I said, I've never played guard. I've always played this position. He said, you can't play at that weight for me. He said, go home and gain 30 pounds. 
and then we'll give it a shot. Guess what I couldn't do? At 19 years old, I could not gain 30 pounds. Now, a couple years later, I gained 30 pounds without a, tr- without a problem, right? There are some times we want growth, and there are other times where maybe we're a little hesitant to it, but we understand that growth generally means that something good is happening. And if we want to progress, if we want to get better, it requires us to grow. We can't stay the same. We understand that in business. We understand it physically. We understand it in sports. We understand it in relationships. Look, I I may call you friend, but if you and I have been friends for 20 years and I don't know any more about you today than I did 20 years ago, are we really friends or are we just people who occupy a similar space? Acquaintances. So we understand that over time, even in our relationships, there is growth, there is maturity, there is something that transpires in that spiritually in our Christian walk God really calls us to the very same thing he calls us to growth he calls us to maturity and he calls us to those things for his glory and it comes down to this idea of salvation right we have this salvation is our goal it it is this point in time where we are all seeking for ourselves and for our children, and, and, and we have this idea encompassed in God. But God's idea of salvation is transformation from the inside out so that we may continue to grow and mature. It is a process. It's not a destination that we get to. You think about, we've been talking about different kinds of restoration, about different kinds of, of, of bringing things back to, to being like new. And it kind of reminds me of, of restoring an old vehicle. If you take an old 55 Chevrolet, pull it out of a junkyard, and it's a, it's a heap of rust, the engine doesn't run, the transmission doesn't run, and the first thing you do is you take it out there and you put a nice pretty paint job on it, get new chrome moldings, get the, get the fins fixed, get your hubcaps all set just right. And it rolls out of the body shop nice and pretty and shiny. It's beautiful. It's beautiful on the outside, but really it has to roll out of the body shop because it's not going anywhere unless you're pushing it or pulling it. Because when you open up the inside and you look at the engine and the transmission and the suspension, what you find is it's an old rusted out piece of junk that looks really pretty. It's not good for anything. It can't get you from point A to point B. It might get you entered into a car show or two, but as soon as somebody opens the hood, they're going to know that this is not what you've presented it to be. You see, God's idea of salvation is transformation, not for you to look pretty and nice for everybody else and everybody around you, but to shape and to mold you from the inside so that what then is expressed on the outside is an expression of what has been transformed on the inside. That we are called to constant growth and maturity salvation was never intended to be a free pass out of hell but rather it was a ticket to a long journey with the Savior as he shapes as he molds as he transforms 
He doesn't give us this place to live where we can go on living wherever and however we please. But that we would meet Christ at the cross and grow from there to mature from there. And to begin a lifelong pursuit of growth and maturity. If we have never grown, if I am the same person spiritually today that I was when I first began this journey, I've got to really ask myself soberly and truthfully, do I really know God? If I am content to be where I am today and never get any deeper into my relationship with God, who am I and who is He? If I look at the things in my life and I see the things that I am pursuing more and more and more of and I look at my relationship with God and it's, it's kind of at this level right here and I say, you know what, that's a pretty good level of God. Nice and balanced. Still room for a lot of the things that I like, a lot of the things that I desire, a lot of the other stuff that I want to do. A lot of people with a lot less God in their lives than me. Yeah, there's a few people with more. A lot of people with more, but there's more with less. I'm kind of okay with just being a middle-of-the-road God guy. Can I really say that I know and love God? If I can look at that and say, no, I'm good. Give me, more, give me more of these things. Give me more of this stuff. Give me more of this aspect of life. But as far as God goes, I'm kind of good with my spiritual life right now. That's the definition of lukewarm Christianity. And we know what Revelation says about what God and Christ does with lukewarm things. He says you need to either be warm and soothing like the hot waters that come or you need to be cold and refreshing like the cold waters that come but lukewarm water I spew out of my mouth. That we never stop desiring for more. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16. Paul writes, Therefore, I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. And right off the bat here in this chapter, he lays something on him. Walk worthy of the calling. You've received a calling. You have been asked to do something. You have been created to go somewhere. Be worthy of that calling. You know, and we live in this place that Sometimes we think it's humility. Sometimes it's just misplaced. A lot of times it's Satan convincing you that you're not worthy. But you are worthy. You are worthy because he made you worthy. Undeserving for sure, but you are worthy of the gospel. You are worthy of the king because he has deemed it so. And he's called you to do something. He's called you to do something in your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, wherever it is that you go he has called you to do something and to be something to somebody he says walk worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness with patience accepting one another in love and diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope 
That's your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity and he gave gifts to people. What does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And he personally gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. He's given you these gifts so that you may grow until you reach unity. A unity that is expressed in such a way. A unity that is created in the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Oh, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head. It is Christ. From Him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. And so he says, look, it is all about growth. And if you look at what he says, growth should be seen in our character. Right? We should be growing in our character. I mean, if you look at these first few verses here, verses 1 through 3, speak about that. It says you can't be the same person today that you were yesterday. You can't be making the same kind of moral decisions. You can't be in the same kind of moral and ethical, ethical dilemmas today as you were yesterday or the day before or the year before. If you're still struggling and wrestling with the same things in your character, that's not who God's called you to be. To be someone that grows in character, that grows in your gifts. He talks about those gifts. We've all been given different gifts. He says some, you know, apostles, teachers, pastors, but all of them are here to build up the body. Sometimes we grow our gifts, but not necessarily for work in the kingdom. Sometimes we grow our gifts for work in other places. We, we do that. But he says it's important that your gifts grow in the kingdom work because it's all about the way the body works together. We've all been equipped in such a way to, to grow in knowledge. Verses 13 and 15 talks about how important it is for us to know God. And to grow in love. The body is grounded, rooted, established in love. But it is about growth, it is about maturity, it is about never being content with where we are when it comes to those things. Paul mentions gifts as as being given by the grace of God. 
verses 7 and verses 11 through 12. Their purpose is to prepare God's people to serve. Have you ever asked yourself, why in the world am I created the way I'm created? Like you have different abilities, you have different intuitions, you have different gifts that you have, and yours are different than mine, and, and aren't you glad your gifts are different than mine? I'm glad your gifts are different than mine. Right? Because when we all come together as a body, we each have something that we're called to do there. They work together to strengthen and to build up. But even outside of the body, as far as an individual goes, the gifts that we've been given, the way that we've been constructed, the way that God has created us to be, those things are given to us for a reason. That is to prepare us for service. He tells his readers to grow not only in your gifts, though, but in your character, in your humility, in your gentleness, in your peace, and in love. So you've you got to learn to foster those gifts that you've been given, but don't forget there is so much more to life than just what you've been gifted with. Grow in character, grow in humility. Our attention, of fre- uh, our attention, our attention frequently moves to gifts and talents and abilities because they're most visible, right? Like I want to go and I want to do and I want to be somewhere where I can best use my talents and my abilities. That's noble, but sometimes when I pursue my strengths, I forget to shore up where my weaknesses are. Sometimes we can be so confident in those gifts and talents and abilities that we forget there's a whole host of other things that God, through Paul, has asked us to be mindful of. I preached my first sermon when I was 12 years old. Um, But before that, I think I was 11 when I led my first prayer in church. And there was a man, Bill Stewart, prayed the most beautiful prayers to this day I have ever heard in my life. I have a book of his prayers. They're like psalms. They're modern day psalms. You could tell he never said, if you went up to him beforehand and said, hey, can you lead the opening prayer? He would say, no, you've not given me enough time to prepare. Because he just didn't do it without preparation. And you could tell, not just that he had prepared his words, but that he had poured his soul into the prayer that he was praying. And so when I was asked to lead a prayer at the church that I grew up in, I went to Dr. Stewart and I said, uh, how do you write your prayers? And he shared with me the process that he goes through of his prayer writing. And I remember at 11 years old saying that prayer after spending a lot of time. He said, it's okay to read it. It doesn't make it any less heartfelt and I read this prayer at 11 years old and after church man I got all the old attaboys you know man a good job Josh appreciate you you know young man and then my dad's best friend Kevin Moore he walked up to me and he said Josh don't let it go to your head and he turned around and walked off I was like 
It's not the encouragement I'm supposed to be getting after something like this. And he came to me afterwards and he said, it was a beautiful prayer. He goes, you've got to be real careful that what you're doing is not for your glory, but is for God's. And after I preached my first sermon at 12, I had so many people say, you're just a natural born preacher. And my grandmother always told me I was going to be a preacher and I knew I was going to be a preacher. And so I went and worked in the car business like every good preacher does. And after spending a lot of time in the car business and, and preaching some on the side and doing some of the stuff I knew I enjoyed, um, I just knew that I was going to go be a preacher. And since I was going to give up the lifestyle and the life that we had grown accustomed to, God was certainly going to bless me with a large church for me to preach in front of so that I could use the gift and use the talent that he had given me. And I could be a little closer to my family. We've talked about this before. And God said, nope. I don't think so you're going to go be a youth minister like that's not preaching god that's not the deal that we made right i was going to go south to be a preacher you sent me north to be a youth minister this is not the way this is supposed to play out but i realized something in three years of doing something that was foreign to me and that was i had become so confident in who i was and what god had gifted and given me an ability to that I had abandoned so many other aspects of my life and my Christian walk. And I wanted to preach not because God would be glorified, but because I thought I was good at it. And I wanted the attaboys. And I wanted the, the, the pats on the back and the people to come up and say, man, you're so good at this. I'm like, yeah, no, I was just made to be and made to do it. God said, you're not here for you. If you're receiving the glory, you're not growing and you're not maturing for me. You've got to learn how to surrender what you desire so that I can work through you. That's what Moses did too, right? Moses is in Egypt and he has been prepared for such a time as this. That's a different story, but it was still the same. And he sees the moment and God said, not my time. You're working on your time, not mine. So you know what you get? 40 years in the desert and so the next time God comes to Moses Moses is going oh I'm not your guy no you are perfectly my guy now because you still have the training you had before but now you've got the humility to go with it it took Moses 40 years in the desert to grow the gifts that God had given him to grow the rest of himself up around the gifts that God had given him It's easy to focus on our talents and our abilities and what God has granted us, but do we realize that those things come by the grace of God and there is so much more to me than my gift and my ability? Our character, our love. And our knowledge of God's word is just as important to grow as our gifts. Because our maturity is not measured by gifts, but it is measured about how we love God and about how, by how we love other people. No one is going to look at you and say, you know what? You are such a good preacher, teacher, pastor, elder, shepherd, deacon, whatever. You 
you must be really good with God, but they can look at the way you love God. They can look at the way you love others. They can look at your character. They can look at your walk. They can look at your life, and they can say, that person's devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is love that proclaims. Jesus said to his apostles, they will know you are Christians by the way you love one another. Not by the way you preach. Not by the way you teach. They will know you are my people if you love one another as I have loved you. And Paul finishes this section by going right back to one of his favorite metaphors. The body. He said, look, you are growing and you are going to continue to grow until you are completely united by faith in Jesus Christ. And it is a lifelong pursuit. You are the body knitted and sewn together so that each part helps another. Each one of you has a role to play. Sometimes a very specific role, but always an important role. And our growth and our maturity is a very, very vital role in restoration, in redemption, and in salvation. He says, I want you to pursue me. God has this desire that we will pursue him the way we pursue so many other things, that we will pursue our knowledge of him the way that we pursue knowledge of so many other things. That we will pursue growth and maturity spiritually in the same way that we pursue growth and maturity in other aspects of our life. That that will be the driving force behind the life that we live. And that in the process, while we are learning to hone the abilities that we've been given, we will devote just as much time to our character, to our knowledge of God's word, and to the way that we love one another. That people may see the things that we do and have no choice but to glorify God. Ephesians is a book of restoration. It says, you may think you've gone too far. You may think you may be too broken for God to use you. But I assure you, there is nothing too broken for God. He is a master at restoring things, about making things right, and he can take the most broken, shattered piece of pottery and bring it in to make it into a masterpiece. We just have to be available to him. There's a song, um, Make Me New, or Beautiful Things is the the title of it. it says you make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of dust you make me new you are making me new 